0: This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell and we are on location. Where
1: are we? We're at the Whitney Museum of Art in New York City. And who are you? (laughs) I'm the mystery guest. I'm Amy Herman and uh, I'm the founder of the Art of Perception and the author of Visual Intelligence.
0: Yes, and those of you who have been listening to the show for the entire thing have met amy before she was on an episode called visual which we recently replayed but since i was doing a last minute trip to new york (laughs) i figured why not go to an art gallery with you so maybe uh just to set the stage for the people who haven't heard that episode
1: although you should go back and listen to it What do you do exactly? What is this? My elevator pitch is that uh, I train people across the professional spectrum in law enforcement, medicine, intelligence, counterterrorism, all different fields to enhance their observation skills by learning to look at works of art. And I've been thinking more about perception, observation, and not just how we see, but how we communicate what we see. So I do that around the world and uh, nobody feels sorry for me, but I have to be in art museums all the time. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, I
0: know. And once again, we've dragged you to one. So where should we begin? How should yeah. we start?
1: Well, I'm thrilled that we got to come to the Whitney today, and I've chosen to go through the installation of their permanent art collection. A, it's not as crowded, and B, we get to see things uh, how the Whitney sees them, how they see their collection in context, And I'm so happy that this is the new building that you get to see. And what we're standing in front of, for those of you who are listening, we're standing in front of a window right now. And the Whitney has included these beautiful views out onto the Hudson River as part of the architecture. And we're looking at a sculpture, it looks to be steel or bronze, that's right in front of the window. And so you're seeing the Hudson River and the cityscape through the work of art. And I think it just, do you think it adds to your, the way you see the work of art? I think it
0: adds to the way I see the river. Yes.
1: I'm always more as, you know, maybe (laughs) I'm more
0: drawn to nature Mm -hmm. oftentimes. I mean, I love art, um, but the way that this particular sculpture fragments the clouds into a square the river into
1: a different shape that sort of thing. Well the other cool thing about the placement of this sculpture in front of the window it's a mix of curved lines and straight lines just like the landscape outside so it kind of parallels what we're looking at and Katie flew in in the midst of a snowstorm. I put the snowstorm in quotes because (laughs) it really wasn't a snowstorm but we do have a blanket of snow And then we have the moving river, and then we have New Jersey on the other side, all seen through the scope of this sculpture. So I think it's kind of a nice place to start, thinking about bringing nature and art together, and how we look at things in museums to know that they're not just on museum walls, but they're part of a bigger picture. Hmm. And you were saying, on our way up in the elevator that people often will have a
0: bias like there'll be certain kinds of art that they think that they like mm-hmm. or movies that they think they like or
1: stuff they like to look at mm-hmm. tell me more about that i've been doing a lot of thinking about bias because we're living in this polarized world politically and economically and as we were talking this morning about the haves and the have-nots and so the idea of bias came you know i was thinking about bias and art when people say well i don't get contemporary art And I said, you know, there's really nothing to get. It's what you see and how you perceive what you're looking at. If you like it or you don't like it, why or why not? And so if we can try to take off those biased lenses, it's really hard because we're all looking through the lenses of our lives. Can't undo that. But if we can at least be aware of them. Like, let's take a look at these two paintings. Yeah, this is exactly what people talk about with contemporary art, right? (laughs) Exactly. So we're looking at two paintings they're both vertical and they both have shades of red and orange and they don't have any representation and they're bigger than both of us right Mm -hmm. but if i said that they were paintings by mark Rothko, people would roll their eyes and say mark Rothko, i don't get it or they all look the same so rather than put a label on something let's just look at it and see what the individual parts are what it's made up of and then we can discuss it i think with less of a bias on our lens. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think that bias is, though? I mean, we're in a polarized world. Why do I have to declare, this is just a big orange square. I hate it. You know, why, why would I even need to say anything like that? Well, I'll
1: give you a visual example that I use in the course that I teach. I put up two paintings, one of George Washington and one of Abraham Lincoln. I ask the class, I say, tell me what you see in these two portraits. And people tell me about presidents, and regal, blah, blah, blah. Then I take down George Washington and I put up the formal portrait of Barack Obama and I watch everyone's face change. And I say to them, I don't care whether you liked Barack Obama, you didn't like him, or you were indifferent. Your experience just changed because every one of you in the room lived through the administration of President Obama. And so it changes how you see the portrait of Lincoln, consequently. And so that's how I define bias. When you have a personal experience and it clouds how you see other things. And it seems to work because then I go back to Washington and Lincoln and I say, raise your hand if you live during the administrations of either of these men. And people say, of course not. But when you make it personal, it becomes biased. And so if we try to remove that personal lens and look at things more objectively, I think we have a better chance of coming to the center and having more productive and substantive dialogue. Makes sense. It it makes sense. Makes sense. So where where do you, what would be good? I think what we're looking at today are, I call them the Whitney's Greatest Hits, Mm -hmm. and it's all from their permanent collection. And they rotate these galleries because they have so much art to show. And for me, I like to see why they hung certain things with other things. So if we look around this gallery, what do the pictures all have in common to you? Well, it almost seems like one side
0: and the other side are slightly different. Yes, they are. So the one side is mainly big, bold colors, right. large palettes, restricted colors too. Yes. Maybe just three or four yep. maximum. Mhm. And then when we turn around, we're getting into a more nature Definitely. I don't know. That one's a cityscape, though. So. But they're still landscapes. Landscapes, yeah. Mm-hmm. More naturey.
1: I don't know. Would you say that these go with these? I think they do. I think one of the things that I notice in all of the works of art except the three over there, which are smaller, and the Barnett Newman behind you, is they all have orange or red. Each one has a little bit of red. So that unites them visually. And I love that you brought in nature, because we're looking at a painting by Clifford Still behind you, and people often talk about Clifford Still as being craggy and rocky and, cliffs and waterfalls. So you go from these very stark squares of color, and then you have this transition into nature. And then, as you pointed out, we have Georgia O'Keeffe, and we have Stella, and we have these beautiful landscapes. And it sort of makes your eye and your mind travel just around a room. We haven't left the room. Mm -hmm. So that's what I love to see in thematic installations, why the curators chose to do certain things. And we can't forget that there's this human right in the center of all of this. Yes, There's a statue in the middle of the room. Yes, there is. And can we walk around the front of it? Yes. So I didn't even notice it. It's a woman. It looks to be a Native American, I believe, because, well, not necessarily. So their hair seems to be flying in the wind, and the statue's eyes are closed, and there's a fig leaf. So that I don't know who did this, but how interesting that this statue of a person is in the center of all of this abstract and nature, natural art. So that's why when I said, you know, what's old is new, this is all the Whitney's permanent collection, but I love to see how they've installed it.
0: And she is facing the nature side of things. She like is. So if the wind is blowing, it's yep. blowing from the nature to the big squares of color on the other and side of the
1: wall. most almost reverential. Her eyes are closed and her head is lifted as if she's in nature itself. And what an interesting choice to have a person where in the rest of these people are noticeably absent. That's very cool. Oh, okay, now, now we've entered a room that's very human focused, I would say. Yes, it is. And what I noticed first, uh, there's skin. Uh, we have Uh, This is one of my favorite paintings by Edward Hopper. It's called A Woman in the Sun. It's from 1961. And she is completely unobserved. It's as if we're not in the room. And it's a woman standing in the window and the light is on her. She's nude. And you almost get the sense that she's just gotten out of bed. And the questions that my cops always say is, you know, where's her boyfriend? Or, you know, where's her partner? And they assume there's another person in this painting When in fact there's just, there she is and her black high heels are under the bed and she's holding a cigarette and she's lost in thought and we're sort of barging in on that but it's a really quiet moment and if you look at the painting next to it it's anything but quiet. Mm -hmm. You know you have this very quiet Edward Hopper and then you have this Henry Corner painting filled with people and it's what I call noise. Mm -hmm. It's a noisy painting. You have a cityscape on the left and then you have nature and you have an amusement park and people and nudity and you don't know where to look first. There's a fight going on in one corner. People trying on clothes. Yeah, people eating a meal in the center and then you have isolated figures and you have an urban landscape. And if you look at these two together, why were they hung this way? This one sort of, you feel like you're barging in but it's this quiet moment of a single subject. And then here, where are we? Am I even standing on the street? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? And I love that looking at works of art brings you into another world and we're standing still. Yeah. So what do uh, all these cops,
0: when you bring them into galleries, think? Do they feel like Maybe you should describe for those who haven't listened like what you're trying to get them to do. Mm -hmm. Like why would you be bringing police and counterintelligence and all those people here? Sure. Well we can use this one as an example.
1: The noisy one. The noisy one, right. We're looking at the noisy painting and I would say to a group of cops, okay, you've just arrived on the scene. What do you see? What captures your eye? Who needs your help and who would you talk to? If you had to put yourself in this scene, Who would you want to talk to? And if it were me, if I were the cop, I'd want to see what this guy, what did this guy just hear that made him leave that naked woman to go run to the window? You know, what caught his attention? Did he hear noise? Did he hear a gunshot? Did he hear screaming? And you break it down into where the people are and how you see yourself. And that's what we call situational awareness. And I'm always teaching cops, you need to be aware of where you are at all times, not just cops, all of us. Where are we? How do we get in? How do we get out? and what's happening around us. And I think this painting really challenges that. I just noticed there's another naked man and woman up in the left-hand corner, but that looks like a very violent scene. Fighting. Yes, they're fighting. And so when you compare the scene in the window compared with what's happening in the corner, it just makes you process all the elements that we have to process on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So that's how I engage these counterterrorism officials because that's what they're doing in practice but I'm taking them out of their context and putting them in a completely foreign one.
0: And how how important are the details? So let's say, like if we step a little closer, Mm -hmm. I I remember us talking about it before we were talking about how people tend to look at paintings quickly and move on. But if if I had to stand here and look at it for, you know, 15 minutes, let's Mm say, Mm -hmm. would it be important that I notice the time on this man's watch or that I notice how many cups are sitting on that table Who's being reflected in water?
1: Well, I think that those things are important because the little details often bring the whole case together. Because if you start in the window on the right, you see cards on the table. They were playing a game. At some point, you make the assumption from the observation of cards being dealt that they put their hands down on the table so he could go look out the window, and yet they're nude. (laughs) Maybe they play cards while they're nude. I don't, maybe it was strip poker. (laughs) Maybe it was strip poker. But then in contrast, you see the couple fighting. And now that I see, it's not a man and a woman. It looks like two men and there seems to be blood. And so how you put all these pieces together, the cards, the time on his watch. The other thing that I noticed is look at the color of the skin of all the different people. Some of it is gray, some of it is lifelike. Some of it is just, they don't even look human. And then the very last thing I let people do is look at the title, Mirror of Life. And so you brought in the idea of reflections. There's reflective water. Is this a mirror of our own life? Is this a section of life in, when is this, 1946? My goal is to get people to come away from a work of art with more questions than they had when they first looked at it. How many questions can they ask? And then we translate that to real life, asking questions about what we see around us. And let me ask, before we move on, Mm -hmm. what about this description? Because
0: how many times have you been in a gallery where people come and they look at it and then they read what is written about it?
1: Absolutely. People spend more time reading labels than they do looking at the works of art. And one of my goals, one of my secondary goals, is to reverse that. Let's look at the work of art first and then read the label. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that this label, one of the phrases that jumps out at me is the words disorienting juxtapositions night, day, violence, calmness, biblical present day, all these weird juxtapositions. But if I read that label first, let's go back to our discussion of bias. I would go back and look for all those things in the painting instead of relying on my own sense of observation and looking at it with fresh eyes. So I'm not saying what's in the label is irrelevant, it's not at all, but look first. Look at all the details you come up with. Would I have even noticed that there was a, an amusement park in the background if I went right to the label and looked for what the label told me to find. Right. And the label also gives you a history of the artist. So would the history of the artist color what I see in, in a good or a bad way? I think so, because look at that last line. It says the man, the naked man who was playing cards, that's looking out the window, the label says, home for him is not the place where one resides, but a vantage point from which to witness all that has been lost. And I don't necessarily think of this painting as negative, but when you read about the artist and the negative or positive experiences that an artist has had, it's going to color your lens. And that's one of the things in my work going forward that I'm trying to get people to not necessarily change that bias lens, but be aware of it visual intelligence told us how to use art to look at our world and now i want to go one step further and help to take some of that bias away to look more objectively
0: Mm. well we can wander on yes How much do you know, I mean, as a person who hangs out in art galleries all the time, how much do you actually know about the artists? Do you research their backgrounds and things like that for your own personal interest? Yes to
1: all of those questions. (laughs) Uh, I call my art historical studies my masters and all my art history study. It comes alive all the time because I'm always interested in why artists did what they did, and then how can I use it with audiences who don't necessarily need to have all that information. Mm -hmm. So just this weekend, there was an amazing interview with Jasper Johns. He's 90 years old, and he's going to have a major exhibition here in 2020. He's planning ahead, even though he's 90. And I read about Jasper Johns, who's this, they described him as an indecipherable American icon of modern art. And when they talked to him, he'd say, well, I just like to paint. This is what I do. And so there's this idea of why did the artists do what they do? And maybe there is no reason, and maybe we just need to rely on our own sense of observation. So here is, again, we've just moved into another gallery, and we're looking at two paintings by Edward Hopper. Unlike the last painting we just looked at, there are no human figures here. Mm -hmm. They're conspicuously absent. And what it does is it draws our attention the details. What are some of the details you notice about this painting? We're looking at the front of a white
0: building. There's a clock in the window. It's like the front of a store, mm-hmm. probably. There's a clock in the window. The second thing I noticed was the cash register. Yes. It also has kind of a front window display that contains three bottles and two paintings, maybe, mm-hmm. or calendars. Who knows? Something that's just sort of propped up. Mm-hmm. Sort of haphazardly, actually, like <laughs> sort of, yeah, uh, afterthought, these people were not interior decorators, <laughs> but the shop also looks like it's empty. Yes. There's a big bookshelf in the window also, and it's completely empty, and there's no people there, and one of the
1: blinds is down. Great details, and one of the things that, <clears throat> what your description tells me is not only are there no people there, so the shop does not appear to be open, But we don't know what kind of shop it is. Mm -hmm. That haphazard display in the window, three bottles, and they look like posters or paintings or pictures. I don't know what goes on in there. What are they selling? Is it a drug front? (laughs) But what really, what caught my attention, and this is, again, what I ask people to notice, the big picture and the small details. If you look just to the left of the storefront, you see kind of an ominous shadow on the ground. I think there's someone lurking back there. Now, I don't know that for sure, because all the way to the left is sort of a dark, foreboding forest. You know, we see bright light in the center, and then you see these dark woods. But there's that one shadow there that suggests to me maybe somebody's lurking. And if I were a cop, I'd want to find that person and find out where we are and what's going on in this building. That's very interesting. And to my point that we don't read labels, the title of this painting is 7 a.m. No one's here. The shop isn't open. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. See, so it's a matter of putting a visual puzzle together. The artist has given you pieces and clues, but we always have to remember art is always a fiction. The artist can do whatever they want, and it doesn't have to make sense. We're now moving to look at a Roy Lichtenstein of what appears to be a black and white painting of a bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. We have a sink, a bathtub, a curtain, a toilet, a bath mat, and towels. What strikes you about this? What do you notice? Well, one,
0: it's got the, the little dots in it that make it look like it's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I don't know what that's called,
0: that sort of graphic mm-hmm. kind of printing. What do you think of the perspective? It's a weird
1: perspective. Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> it, it's <laughs> sort of like we're floating slightly, I don't
1: even know where we are. We're, we're not on terra firma. The, no. The, the, <laughs> the, slo- the floor seems to be slanting in a way that's kind of scary. It's almost two-dimensional as if we're not really in the bathroom, but we all know what a sink looks like. We all know what the toilet looks like. Oh, and there's a cabinet above Mm -hmm. the sink. So we all recognize this immediately. But again, when you take the time to look closely, you notice the dots, you notice the skewered perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't think that tub could actually fit a person Mm -hmm. because look how big it is compared to the toilet like everything's off a little bit yeah the tub is too small and then there's a copyright symbol in the middle of the floor yes there is (laughs) there is there's this weird c in the lower left-hand corner and you know the title here gives you nothing it says bathroom 1961. Mm -hmm. and this is one of the things i love about what's old is new again Bathrooms really haven't changed that much since (laughs) 1961. Everyone recognizes this as a bathroom, but when you take the time to look at the different elements and you see that he's created a shower curtain just with a few lines, Mm -hmm. it suggests the whole presence of a curved curtain that you know is there. So again, it's taking the familiar. That's why if I take police officers or counterintelligence officials or nurses, Everybody can talk about this, and nobody has to know who Roy Lichtenstein is, and they don't need to know that he painted in this style. It's what they see and how they communicate it.
0: Well, and there's a few dots on the bath mat, so does Mm -hmm. that mean that we could infer
1: that somebody stepped on that part and got it wet? I'm thinking it's definitely wet and that some person was recently in this bathroom. And the other thing, it's devoid of decoration. You know, there are no bars of soap and there are no little vases of flowers. It's just the bathroom and its fixtures. And yes, the the presence of a human is suggested in the mat that somebody might have just put their feet down and gotten it wet.
0: So let's talk about bias for a second in this way. Okay. Okay. So we're standing in front of this picture of a bathroom. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna just do my bias here. Okay? okay picture of a bathroom. We look to the left And there's a picture of a what gardenia is that what a that? geranium <laughs> geranium Thank geranium. you a geranium sitting next to an old-fashioned looking chair yep. both of them have a slightly skewed perspective Like yes. w- but I would say from my bias I like the one of the plant <laughs> with the chair much better <laughs> than I like this and I think part of it is because I r- it's the same reason I love Caravaggio. It's very real looking. Yes, and this is very Unreal looking and so I have a
1: tendency to choose Paintings that are real. I think that's fair. I think that's fair and I think you're not alone People want to look at things that are accessible and that they can identify with. Yes We can all identify with a bathroom. Do we necessarily want to look at it in a painting? No, but isn't it interesting That your eye caught the geranium and the chair while we were looking at the bathroom And if you look at the chair and the angle of the toilet, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to make these parallels, let's move over to that painting. I agree with you. I like it better. <laughs> but when we move over to it, we see, we see part of a wooden chair that has a striped pillow on it and a table. Again, perspective is kind of off because we can see the top of the table. It's not flat. And then this beautiful geranium on the table, as different from the bathroom as it could possibly be, yet equally recognizable. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's interesting you brought up Caravaggio because I think of Caravaggio as hyper real. The light and the shadows and the exaggeration is like humanity under a microscope. You know, these crazed emotions and murderous expressions. And so that's hyper real to me. But I agree with you. There's something very pleasing about the colors. And let's face it, we're not looking at a bathroom.
0: You know what else is interesting about this painting? Mm -hmm. If you look close is it almost looks like you can see the sketch that the artist did prior to it. They didn't fill it in right. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like you can see the, I'm not going to touch it, but Mm -hmm. you can see the lines there or like you
1: can see where they drew the chair in. Mm -hmm. Yes, and this is an artist. uh, This is Charles Schiller and his work is often so precisionist. It's just absolutely perfect. So this does not seem to fit into his general oeuvre. It's You have sort of softer lines and the background of this painting there are all kinds of colors going on in the background and even the the wainscoting or the the line in the wall the perspective is off because look how huge this chair looks compared to the wall behind it Mm -hmm. so when we're looking at skewed perspective let's move to the next one I don't know this artist Beaufort Delaney But talk about skewed perspective. (laughs) 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 Woo. Drugs. And it is. It's just totally from this very placid, beautiful geranium. We're now looking at a painting that's probably a third of the size, and you feel like sort of Alice in Wonderland, Mm -hmm. right? We're looking at a corner into a room with a bright green rug and a table and paintings on the wall, but they're not in perspective, and this big stove, purple stove in the center. Everything's off. And yet, do you find that unpleasing to look at?
0: Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I mean, I, not like from a repulsive yeah. uh, way. It, but it does have a kind of menacing... It does. Because the stove is so large and it's so strangely placed in the center of the painting, it almost mm-hmm. looks like it's in on an
1: attack mode or something like that. It's discomforting. You don't know where you fit here. You know, in the painting with the geranium, you kind of want to sit in that chair. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in here. Now, let's take a look. And we're, we're looking at all these works of art that are... The idea of lines and interiors this changes it a little bit but let's look at this painting see now this one i really like yes. <laughs> because
0: this <laughs> has extremely crisp lines now i Give love crisp lines oh me. goodness you see crisp lines? Yeah. okay um well i mean it doesn't look like a photograph so it's not like people always describe caravaggio as a photograph mm-hmm. like it's almost photographic this doesn't look that way mm-hmm. it has a sort of a flatness to it mm-hmm. but all of the lines are very precise, so yes. it's, a, it's a picture of a basement. Mm-hmm. There are stairs coming down, mm-hmm. uh, they turn a, a corner, and there's a man sitting on the left side who's painting. We guess anyway, he's in front of a big canvas, he has one hand up, and we can't see his face. Right. And then there's a big furnace, just like in the, just other like one, the other one, right in the middle of the painting.
1: Does this furnace scare you the way the other one does? Oh, this furnace looks delightful.
0: <laughs> I love this <laughs> furnace. I want to live in this basement. <laughs> it's a kind of mahogany-looking furnace, old-fashioned, but has some nice designs to it. I mean, it just looks like a very pleasing, peaceful basement. It does. You can see outside. There's trees in both the windows there's a mirror on the wall, there's a bust of a person at the bottom of the stairs,
1: strangely. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things, and as you just described, no two people see anything the same way. The last thing I would probably call this painting is a basement. It just would not dawn upon me that it is a lower space. I started looking at it as an artist's studio. I saw the artist that you described sitting in a chair and one arm is raised, and then I noticed his funny little shoes. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at the various paintings in the room and the bust and the scene out the window, because the scene out the two windows is very different. And you're a good cop, because cops try to say, where are we right away, location, location. And they would say, we're in a basement, just like you did. Mm. And it wouldn't even cross my mind. But then I'd start to realize that the steps go down and the ceiling is lowered, but the other thing my eye, yours as well, is the crispness of the lines. And if you look at that white, there's a white bowl on a bookshelf that is almost incandescent. I mean, the light is almost coming from that white bowl. And what's so beautiful about this painting is you really can't see brush strokes. You can see brush strokes in the rug on the floor, in the trees out the window, and in the curtains. But everything else is so crisp that it's almost a photograph. How do they do that? <laughs>
0: Have you ever asked an artist, like <laughs>
1: seriously, how it's, do how do you do that? It's I wouldn't say photorealism, but it's very polished. It's the opposite of painterly. You know when we saw the Mark Rothko in the first gallery with those wild brushstrokes, you can see the artist's hand, and the artist's hand is really not that apparent here. Mm-mm. It's more apparent in that claustrophobic uh, painting with the with the furnace. And now you can see when we were talking about looking what's old and new. Why do works of art go together? these are all interiors and you can see brush strokes one is very welcoming and one is pristine Mm -hmm. and i just think it invites the viewer to be part of this conversation why are these hanging together have you ever asked people who put
0: galleries together if they can tell which paintings are more popular based on how much time people spend with them
1: you know it's interesting i always wonder having worked in museums for years if curators really think about how people view paintings or how people view works of art or if their job is done. Once they've decided where they go and how they go, is that the end of their engagement? Mm -hmm. And I used to ask curators, do you walk through the galleries? And I don't mean this in the pejorative at all, but I think the curator's job is to think about the works of art academically and thematically and install them and then they're finished. So I try to take it one step further and take the engagement and the conversation To another level. I'm not saying that they're not interested in that, but they do say oh people love this painting or people don't like this painting. But I don't think that public reception is top of their list. I think it's to make sure that the paintings are well hung and that they are at eye line and the frames and it's just in harmony in the gallery. For whatever the theme is but i'm always curious i look to see who's looking at what yeah <laughs> i like too that you with this
0: ominous shadow that you pointed out in this edward hopper painting uh-huh. now you see it yeah i see it now <laughs> i did not see it before and it could be a tree it could, could be. be it could be but um
1: and i'd be wary my situational awareness <laughs> be. i would approach very carefully the city girl that i am i wouldn't walk there directly without peeking around the corner first That's what I want to teach people. Look for those shadows so you don't walk blindly into danger.
0: Yeah, so does that mean though that oftentimes in these paintings you are making up the story that goes along with it,
1: or is it
0: something other than that?
1: Well... Here's an example. Here's a perfect example. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um, this is... We are now in a new room, yes, by the we're way. in a new room with lots of people, again. People, both visitors and people in the paintings. Oh, and by the way, I should mention, because Tiffany will want to know, yes, people are looking at us strangely. They are, Tiffany, but that's okay. <laughs> they think I'm somebody famous, and I'm
1: really not. Yeah, so.
0: They're like, <laughs> is this some sort of a tour I should <laughs> be on? <laughs> and we. St- and yes, <laughs>
1: they should listen to The Bittersweet we Light. <laughs> yes, they should. <laughs> so we're standing in front of a painting now by Alice Neal who's one of my favorite portrait painters in the world. And this is an iconic portrait of Andy Warhol. And I use it in my class all the time. What's interesting about this painting, well, there are many things that are interesting. I always ask the class, does anyone know who this is? And more often than not, one person will raise a hand and say, that looks like Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. And the reason the painting is so interesting is that Andy Warhol was afraid of nudity. He never let anyone see him without his clothes on. But I believe it was 1966, I may have the year wrong, there was an assassination attempt on his life. And after that assassination attempt, he let his friend, Alice Neel, paint him nude, showing the surgical scars and the girdle that he had to wear for the rest of his life to contain his inner organs. And to me, this portrait illustrates vulnerability we are who we are scars and girdles this is who we are and i think it's really quite poignant that he kept his eyes closed Mm. if you're going to look at me i'm not going to look at you (laughs) this was to me this was as much as he could do and even his shoes have this life of their own you know the light hits the shoes and again we're seeing them at an angle that we wouldn't necessarily see shoes but it's the portrait as a whole this is where background knowledge really enhances our appreciation it's not just a naked man with scars it's Andy Warhol and
0: if you were looking at this from a detail, like I love that story, but she's painted the whole thing
1: in except for part of his pant leg. Part of his pants. And, that's and the couch he's sitting on. That's right. And that's what captures your attention, that he's sitting on this barely limbed couch, he's got these shiny brown leather shoes with laces on them, and there's even this beautiful backdrop of blue just behind Warhol's back and everything else is simply drawn and yet look at the light on his face. So she's chosen where she wants our eye to go with the colors and the shading and it's as you said such an interesting contrast of barely drawn in and really incredible detail and look at the missing part of his pants and his fingers are sort of jumbled and yet his face and his hair are crystal clear. Interesting. Now look at the portrait next to it. We're looking now at a portrait by Fairfield Porter How interesting. I didn't even realize this. It says portrait of Ted Carey and Andy Warhol. Hmm. I would have never known that. I'm not familiar with this portrait, but the fact that they hang side by side, I was thinking more it was portraiture. A sitting male, a sitting male, a standing male, simple line, even very similar palettes. You see that backdrop of blue behind Warhol on the right, and there's that very subtle backdrop of blue on the left, but they're actually, they share a subject. So that's what I find so interesting. I love to just wander galleries and see what's... I've never seen these two together.
0: Oh, and the other interesting thing, too, is I would never guess that either of the men in this picture are Andy Warhol.
1: I wouldn't either, and that's why labels can really be important because I would have walked away thinking, well, two men and Andy Warhol, but it's actually think that's from the 60s but I have to double check and this is 1960 and then my eye uh, caught Alex Katz's painting and the title of this Alex Katz is an artist who painted mostly portraiture he does some landscapes many many different portraits of his wife Ada and this is Ada Katz and so interesting that it's called Ada on Blue 1959 mm-hmm. so here this very mention of blue just my visual observation that there's blue in each this is all about the blue. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered, to get into the curator's head, was it the blue that brought these together? Was it the portraiture? Or, now that I think about it, the familiarity and the vulnerability of Andy Warhol. And painting your wife, that's very familiar, and he knows all the vulnerabilities. So I love this installation of the three and why they were hanging together.
0: Hmm. Do people often walk in galleries and Somehow I'll think, like, I'd put that in my home, or I wouldn't. And what is that about?
1: Like, I'm not going to ever be able to put these in my home. It's an ongoing conversation that I have with friends when we walk through galleries together. We always say, I'd hang that over the couch, meaning that's something I could live with. Mm-hmm. And they're not always pleasing images, but what that means is it's something I could look at every day and find renewed meaning this is not something I'd want over the couch. We're looking at a painting now by George Tucker and it's an iconic work called The Subway. And it resonates with every New Yorker, because we've all been there. And for people who aren't from New York, they've all been there too. You descend into the catacombs of the New York City subway, and there's a woman in the front and center of the painting in a red dress, and she just has this look of horror and worry, and she's walking very tentatively and she's looking around in a very suspicious way and she's surrounded by almost all men no one's smiling and everyone looks highly suspicious it's tense fraught and anxious and that's why i don't want it in my house (laughs) (laughs) it's bad feng shui you know it's it's it would bring tension and anxiety into my home and i don't need any more of that nobody does but yet it's iconic because i think what the artist does is he brings all of our angst Nobody looks at this painting and smiles. He's illustrated our angst, and whether it's in a subway station or anywhere, we all know what that woman is feeling. We also know what these men and these people that are entering the subway, oh, I have to get into the subway, we all know that feeling, and yet I don't want to have that at home. You get it. Yes, (laughs) I do. What kind of thing would you have at home? I'll show you. (laughs) Let's walk through the galleries. If I could pick out anything in the Whitney's galleries,
0: you have to look at it every day.
1: I do. It would not be that. Let's take a look at Jasper Johns' paintings. Okay. They're, they're me no. Okay. okay we'll totally anyway. follow the rules. Yeah, whatever we'll the rules forward. are. We'll w- if we could just wrap up and then we'll... Yeah. Okay. I should just say a few... Okay. Thank you. Okay. okay. We're getting kicked out, so we're going <laughs> to finish with this painting, and then we'll go to the streets. Yes. Okay. So we're looking at Jasper Johns' flags now, and it's three paintings of the flag... The American flag. The American flag, one on top of the other, and this one dates from 1958, although I don't think it really matters. And in this interview that I just read with Jasper Johns, they said, you know, you painted the flags, and then you didn't. He said, yeah, well, they changed it. They added two more stars for Alaska and Hawaii, (laughs) and he stopped. And people have always been reading into the flags. Is it as a criticism of the Eisenhower administration? Is it his feelings about patriotism? And he said, no, I just painted flags. And yet... When you walk, anybody who's remotely familiar with art and walks into a gallery, they point to a flag and they say they know it's Jasper Johns. So I think our bias is it's okay if I don't understand this. You know, the painting next to it that we're looking at is also by Jasper Johns and it looks like two maps of the United States, right? And we don't have to understand it, but understanding, sometimes if we don't think we understand something, we don't like it. And that's the bias I want to undo. But just looking at this, I would have that in my home. I just enjoy looking at it. It's bright colors. It's interesting sculpturally. And yeah, I know it's by Jasper Johns. I would love to have one in my (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That's where the knowledge of the artist also helps. That's right. right. (laughs) Well, thanks for doing this. Oh, what fun. Thank you for walking through with me, Katie. I just, I love looking at works of art when we have no constraints and it's not crowded and we're just free to wander. All
0: right. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. If you would like to see paintings from today's show... Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. You can also find us at thebittersweetlife.net. And if you're not already subscribed to the show, click the subscribe button and tell a friend. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.